Being at peace with our identity is not always simple. Being confident about who you are can sometimes be challenging. And as Jews, this challenge might be even more difficult. Anti-Semitism, Jew hatred and trauma can impact all Jews, especially in the diaspora. That's exactly why today we will talk about the cure, Jewish pride. I'm Dr. Afat Sofa, and today in Jewish World, a podcast by the World Jewish Congress Israel, we'll dive into the deep meaning of our Jewish identity and ask how we can make it a source of pride in our nation and what is the importance of being confident in our Jewishness. We will be speaking with author Ben M. Freeman, who will share with us his personal journey toward a strong Jewish identity and some of the insights he learned along the way. Jewish World, a podcast by the World Jewish Congress, Israel. Connecting Israel to Jewish communities around the world. We will be speaking with author Ben M. Freeman, who will share with us his personal journey toward a strong Jewish identity and some of the insights he learned along the way. Ben M. Freeman's brilliant books are Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People and Reclaiming Our Story, The Pursuit of Jewish Pride. He's also one of the founders of the Jewish Pride Movement. Ben, thank you for being with us today and very specially, thank you for being here in person with me. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to sit down to speak on the World Jewish Congress podcast, but also most importantly, to speak to you on the World Jewish Congress podcast. The honour and pleasure is all mine. Ben, let's kick off with our first point of discussion. What does Jewish pride and Jewish pride mean to you? When I've been thinking about Jewish pride, when I've been thinking about pride in general, I've really tried to get to the root of it. And I think for Jewish people, it does three things. The first is enabling us to reject the shame of Jew hatred. So it builds a barrier to the swirling hurricane of Jew hatred that is around us all the time, and it stops it permeating us. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be traumatised or upset, but it's not going to change how we feel about ourselves, most importantly. And the second point is enabling Jews to define our own identity. If we think about modern Jewish identity, so much of it is defined by the non-Jewish world. We're told what we are, who we are, what our experience is, what our experience is not. And I think that's unacceptable. We should be the ones to define our story. We should be the ones to tell our, our history, to tell our narrative. And then to be able to do that leads us to the last point, which is we have to dive into Jewish history, Jewish identity, Jewish experience to learn about our history, our experience, our identity, of course, but from a Jewish perspective, right? We're not looking to the wider world to understand who we are. We will understand who we are from our own context, our own circumstances, and we will explain it to the world. And, you know, that's a very practical thing regarding Jewish pride, but ultimately it's self-esteem. It's confidence. It's the ability to take up space. I mean, you and I have spoken about this a lot, you know, as two fashion lovers, you know, we spend a lot of time in Mayfair. I spend a lot of time in an area which I would argue is, is traditionally white. And I take great pleasure in going there and spending time and wearing my kippah and wearing my Magen David, which I wear every day. And it's feeling that we're able to take up the space that we're entitled to. And that's how I feel about it. It's not shrinking. It's not staying quiet. It's not about trying to make people feel comfortable by not voicing our perspective, our opinion. 
it's confidence, it's self-esteem. This actually takes me back to one of our first meetings and when we did indeed meet in Mayfair in a very, very British mm. venue, in a quintessentially um, British club where it is not the stereotypical site where, where Jews would meet up. And I think we were, we were both, that's where we both had a sort of eureka moment, where we both did wear a Magen David. We were both very proudly Jewish there, and we were able to discuss our own experience with it. Mm. And I guess that reflects a lot of, of how you describe Jewish pride and that very personal experience that is involved with it. And so how did you personally get involved in the subject? What attracted you within it? For me, the journey to Jewish pride began many, many years ago. And it really actually began with my journey to LGBTQ plus pride. You know, I am 36 years old, so I came out, I don't know, maybe like 16 years ago and things were quite different then. And especially when I was young, things were very different. And I had internalized homophobia. I really didn't want to be gay. I did not want to um, be part of that community. I was ashamed. I was deeply ashamed. And then I had a realization when I was about 16 or 17. And it was that I had done nothing wrong. That I was being punished for a crime I hadn't committed. And that wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the next day I woke up and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. It was still a long process, but it was the beginning of the process. And then, you know, my LGBTQ plus journey, my identity progressed. And my Jewish one was kind of going alongside, you know, I was raised in Glasgow in a very small, very strong, very Zionist Jewish community. My family were very involved. Both of my siblings made Aliyah. So we were always proud Jews, but I don't know if I would ever have spoken about it in that way. I would just be like, yeah, I'm Jewish. It's just the way it is. I wouldn't necessarily have owned my identity in the way that we're doing now. And that shift took place in about 2018 during the Corbyn Labour crisis. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jeremy Corbyn was the former leader of the Labour Party. His official title was Her Majesty's Most Loyal Opposition. So he had an official role in our political system. And he, in my opinion, in the opinion of many Jews, is a racist. He's an anti-Jewish racist. And his particular form of anti-Jewish racism is really rooted and, and focused very heavily on Israel, drawing very much from the Soviet Union and their anti-Zionist campaign. And what the British Jewish community did during that period was remarkable and inspiring, and really is actually a symbol of Jewish pride to Jews all over the world. But I also noticed, and I'm sure you noticed the same thing, I noticed certain high-profile Jews, often on the left, I mean always on the left really, who were not able to call Corbyn what he was, who would try and explain it. And it seemed that they cherished their membership of the left, their membership of kind of maybe high society, you know, that kind of celebrity world, more than they cherished their Jewish identity and standing up for Jews. And I just thought that was kind of unacceptable and, and interesting more than anything, actually. And it led me to reflect on my gay experience. And I thought, well, what did I do? What steps did I take? What things did I think about? Did I have to realise? to get me to LGBTQ plus pride. And then it just was like, well, of course we deserve a pride movement. Like we as Jews deserve a pride movement. And to clarify, because sometimes people are a little confused, Jewish pride is not a movement for LGBTQ plus Jews. Jewish pride is a movement for all Jews. It's our version of pride movements that exist in other spaces. So it's to educate, inspire and empower Jewish people. And we deserve it. And, you know, I published the first book, as you mentioned, 
And what I've realized is that a lot of people have been thinking these things. A lot of people had been thinking about shame, about making themselves smaller, about not taking up that space. And I think that a lot of people felt uncomfortable with it. So the work that I've tried to do and the work that you're doing and many other people are doing is to give people permission to say, you don't need to shrink yourself. You can be loudly, proudly Jewish. You can be sitting in a you know, very British club wearing your Magen David, speaking loudly about your Jewish experience. We weren't speaking in hushed voices. We were loudly and proudly owning our identities and having dual identities, right? As British people as well in that moment. So that is that was my journey. It has changed my life as much as it has changed other people's lives because I'm also a Jew, you know, I literally wrote the book, but I'm still experiencing the same things that everyone else experiences. So Jewish pride has been, it's been the most incredible gift for me as well as everyone else. For me, one of the most profound things about your movement and your books is that you you actually managed to verbalize a lot of things that a lot of people in the Jewish world were feeling. And so when, for example, um, at the World Jewish Congress, we were trying to develop a project about Jewish pride. And we were thinking, well, we're very proud to be Jewish because of X, Y, and Z. But you were actually able to verbalize what we were feeling in a very organized, integrated way, which is super profound to put in words to feelings in that way so that we can, we can, we can bring it into our realities. I think that the reality is I just had a head start. And not a head start with Jewish pride. You know, I always talk about the modern Jewish pride movement because obviously I'm not the first proud Jew. You know, you've been a proud Jew all your whole life. We all have, right? This is what I'm really talking about is my head start with the concept of pride as, as a kind of tangible idea. And I started thinking about that almost 20 years ago. So I've just been thinking about it for a really long time. And then secondly, with regards to kind of making information accessible, I was a high school teacher, I was teaching university in Hong Kong, I was teaching Jewish studies and the Holocaust to non-Jewish students, almost exclusively non-Jewish students. So I had to really consider, okay, how am I making this specific information that may be obvious to you, right? If we were in a class together, it would be a different situation. But for them, they were starting from the beginning. So I had to make information accessible. And I really believe in that's the role of the educator. And I do think, without throwing shade, academia needs to be slightly more accessible to people. You know, obviously people should be doing great, important thinking, but if it's not accessible, if no one's going to read it, then who is it for? You know, I wrote these books to speak to people, real Jewish people who may not have expertise in the subjects. I wanted them to gain knowledge and gain empowerment and be inspired. So it has to be accessible. I think you've really hit um, a very, very important nerve there, where also for me as an academic, academics pride themselves on being in their ivory tower, on being inaccessible and exclusive and see that as a badge of, of honor and academic prowess, where actually I think the opposite is true, where people can be touched within their own internal psyches, so to speak, as well. And that only enhances the connection and the experience. Mm. And um, I think for you to, and, and during our conversations, you mentioned that you did indeed teach in Hong Kong over COVID. Mm. Um, did that help to uh, develop, enhance your sense of Jewish pride? How did that affect the journey? 
I was very lucky teaching in Hong Kong generally and also during COVID because I had guinea pigs. So the first half of both of my books, that's the kind of, or they are the kind of academic, intellectual, dense part of it. And then the second half is interviews, so it's more emotional. And I tested it out on my students. So the first half of the first book is the introduction to my course on the Holocaust. So that was an incredible opportunity to see, does this work? Is this accessible? And I think during COVID, it was very interesting because during COVID, that's when we had a couple of really major flashpoints with regards to the current resurgence in Jew hatred. The first was the summer of 2020 and the kind of, um, the, not the emergence, but the exploding of the Black Lives Matter conversation, which is, you know, obviously is very important. But at the same time, we did see anti-Semitism, a lot of Jew hatred coming from those who we feel should be our allies. And then the second flashpoint was May 2021, the war between Israel and Hamas. And, you know, when I speak to Jews all over the world, they identify those two flashpoints as really major opportunities for them to reconsider their Jewish identities. And I was experiencing it, obviously. I was, you know, advocating for Israel during the war. I was teaching classes online. I was really adding my voice to the fray. But I wasn't living in Britain. I wasn't living in Israel. I wasn't living in America. So I did have some distance. And I think that distance was really important because, you know, there's a particular friend that I have called Joanna, who was like my walking buddy in Hong Kong. And she's mixed Filipina Chinese, is an amazing ally, doesn't really have a strong base um, in terms of context, but was really wanting to learn. And we'd go for these walks and she would ask me questions that a Jewish person wouldn't have asked me. And I wouldn't have thought of because I was so deep in it, but actually it took being surrounded by a different context, you know, my partner Gary as well, being surrounded by a different context to be asked questions that I needed to think about. You know, being asked, well, how does this make you feel about the progressive movement? How does this make you feel about your Jewish identity? How does it make you feel about your gay identity? And those were not necessarily things I was really considering. I was kind of in, we were in defense mode, right? We were fighting. And these people, that context gave me an opportunity to have a little bit of distance and to do some real thinking. And that is what this work is. You know, I sometimes joke to my partner, I say, I'm a thinker. And it's kind of like, that is kind of my job, which is very bizarre. And obviously I write and I have a column, but you have to think. And to think, you have to have space and you have to be inspired. So that was really important for me. You're listening to Jewish World by the World Jewish Congress, Israel. World Jewish Congress and our work together takes us to various Jewish communities from around the world. How has your experience been of different Jewish communities around the world vis-a-vis -vis their Jewish pride? It's fascinating. It's so interesting because what we're getting when we, or what I get when I speak to people from all over the world, and I'm sure it's the same for you, you get a geographical version of what's happening here in London. You know, when I go to Canada, it's a geographical version of what's happening in London and also America, also Australia. And that's what I'm seeing that it's, there are, are the same conversations taking place. There's definitely communities that have um, a specific context that they need to work through. So in America, there is obviously the context of the kind of American racial binary. In South Africa, there's the context of post-apartheid and those do definitely impact conversations, but it's, they're the same conversations. 
which is really remarkable. And that is something that I find absolutely fascinating that, you know, when we had this conversation during the Corbyn experience that we were saying to the world, this isn't a British problem. This is going to be taking place in your version, in your place, or in your context, in your place. And it has, you know, we've seen the versions of it in America, in Canada. We've seen versions of it all over the world at universities and politics. And it's really important for us to be paying attention to each other's stories, to be understanding the commonalities, and to be understanding that maybe we can learn things from one another. And that's really what I think about the world when considering the British experience during, again, the Corbyn experience, that they can learn from us. They can learn how to come together as one, which as we know as Jews is a very challenging thing to do, but we did. It was remarkable. You had Orthodox rabbis, Reform rabbis, liberal rabbis signing letters as one. I'd never seen that happen before. We put aside our differences and we understood that there was an existential threat which is something I think other Jewish communities could be could be understanding as well. But yeah, it's the same conversations. And again, they are flavoured slightly differently, but absolutely, American Jews are talking about their version of what we talked about. You know, how do we remain proudly American? How do we vote for the Democrats, say, or the Republicans, or whoever it may be, considering the politics that we're seeing? How do we not get pulled into polarism or popularism, right? And we're seeing that a lot that people are being radicalised against positions, which I think is incredibly dangerous. So the same conversations are happening everywhere, I think. And you're mentioning that does bring into, into mind um, one of the other episodes that we've covered is covering um, and remembering the Holocaust and addressing anti-Semitism online. Mm. And where algorithms are very much set on what you're against. Mm-hmm. And so it it... Jewish pride is in a way the opposite of that, which is a fascinating um, concept in its own. Mm. How can we develop our own Jewish pride? So I think there's two things, or there's two layers to this. The first is individual, right? We are both individuals and part of a collective. So we'll discuss the individual um, first. The first is to have a conversation with yourself. And it's an honest and open conversation and a conversation, most importantly, without shame. Because Jewish people have shame in in like many marginalized communities. And then I think we also have shame about shame, which is this this horrible cycle. And have a conversation and say, how do I really feel about being Jewish? Have there been opportunities or have there been moments rather in my life where I have diminished my Jewishness, where I've said I'm Jewish, but I'm Zionist, but those are things that I used to say. And while my brother was serving in the IDF, while I was working for a Jewish organization, because these things run so deep and it's not a binary. It's not well, either I'm proud or I'm ashamed. It's much more complicated. So have a conversation with yourself, an open, honest conversation without shame, and then challenge yourself to challenging the findings you, you uncover in that conversation. And then from a practical perspective, if you feel safe, wear a Megan David, wear a kippah, you know, keep kosher. And the reason I say those things is because they're declarations to the world and to ourselves, right? It's not just about always what we're saying to the world. When I'm in Mayfair at my tailor's and I'm wearing a kippah, I'm, I'm taking up that space. It isn't really about them. It's about how I feel in that moment. And it's incredibly powerful and incredibly profound. And even something like keeping kosher, you know, I was raised kosher for 25 years and I had a decade of not keeping kosher. And about maybe eight months ago, I kind of started um, keeping kosher light. 
you know, I'm not going to say that I'm glad kosher, but I'm on my journey. And people were always like, well, why? Why are you doing this? And I was like, well, so much of my work is about fighting Jew hatred. It's about speaking to people. It's about, you know, talking about Jewish pride. What is something quiet that I'm doing for me that is rooting me into our indigeneity, into our customs? So when I go out for dinner with my partner and I make a choice not to eat shellfish or pork, that is a choice that I'm making because I'm a Jew. And it's not that I'm losing out. You know, people often say like, oh, don't you miss it? Are you losing out? It's not the case. I'm making a choice because of how I want to express and experience my Jewishness, right? Because in that moment, it's very personal. Like no one, ever, no one really cares what I'm eating. It's a personal thing. And I think incorporating Jewish acts into our lives is so important. Perhaps most importantly, because we are a distinct civilization. We are not just a kind of, you know, airy, fairy, loose thing. To be Jewish is something tangible. We come from a specific place. Our customs are rooted there. We have specific traditions, specific practices. And the most incredible thing about the Jewish people is not actually that we started, you know, three and a half, four thousand years ago in the land of Israel. It's the fact that we are still going. And there's a direct link from those Jews thousands of years ago to us today. So when we make choices to keep kosher, to wear Megen Davids or to do whatever, we are connecting ourselves to them in the past and also to Jews who will come in the future. And we are part of this greater tapestry which exists and we all need to understand that. And the action also helps us fulfill our responsibility because Judaism and Jewishness does not belong to us. They don't belong to us. We're caretakers of it for future generations. And we have to ask, what are we passing on? But if you do feel shame, if you do feel discomfort about being openly, proudly Jewish, that's okay. This is not about judgment, but what we would encourage you to do is start the journey. Ask yourself those questions. Have a friendly conversation with yourself. How do I really feel about being Jewish? Have there been those moments? And have there been moments when I felt humiliated as a Jew? And I felt diminished by others and maybe I didn't understand how I felt. Maybe I wasn't able to say anything. It's not about raking over the past to like, you know, self-flagellate. It's about understanding our experience, both emotionally and intellectually, because a lot of this is emotional, right? You know, again, as academics, we're wanting to root so much of our work in scholarly research. But this is also emotional. We're asking Jews, how do you feel about being Jewish? And then hoping that Jews will pursue pride and back that pride up, reinforce it with the knowledge. I think that internal, external axis is something that is so profound. And um, I think it's, in a way, when you mention your tailor, Maybe we can get your tailor to make you more yeah. kippot. I yes. think that would be a <laughs> hugely symbolic. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I, I think that that um, reminds me and, and, and kind of where I'm very curious to know is how does the internal individual experience, how is it affected by and how does it affect the community mm -hmm. and the wider community at large? It's a really important question and it's it's going both ways. I mean, there's constantly energy flowing from the community to the individual and then from the individual to the community because the reality is the community is made up of individuals. So if we as individuals feel ashamed, are hiding our Jewishness, are changing our names, are changing our noses, then that is going to impact the wider culture because we are a people made up of people. 
And that's the same for any community, right? We're no different in that regard. But then, of course, the kind of conversations which happen culturally, so happening in the Jewish press, happening with the World Jewish Congress, they impact the individual. So it's absolutely a flowing relationship. And we each need to understand our responsibility. As individuals, we do affect the, the collective. And we need to make sure that we're having a positive impact, that we're doing the work. And again, that's not to say we all need to be A-plus students. It's about getting there. But then the collective, we need to have cultures of empathy, cultures of conversation. We need to start having these conversations kind of at large. And one of the, the tragic things about our current situation as Jews is I would say that we are generations behind other communities in those cultural conversations. When I'm speaking to my LGBTQ plus friends, we will have kind of inherent knowledge when we talk about internalized homophobia. We understand what that is, we don't need to explain it, we can have a conversation. You know, part of my work, especially with the second book, Reclaiming Our Story, is to begin that conversation in the Jewish world. So we need to be having the conversation, you know, how do we feel about our Jewishness? How do we feel about Israel? How does the non-Jewish world make us feel about Israel? How do they make us feel about our Jewishness? Having thoughtful, empathetic conversations, and empathy is really crucial here because it's very easy to judge people. And I've been in that situation, right? People will say something to you online and it makes you really mad and you want to say something, you know, mean or judgmental back. But we've got to understand that even Jews who are so filled with shame that they turn against Israel, and I would argue that is what has happened to those people. They have internalized Jew hatred, they've internalized anti-Zionism and they've rejected their connection to their indigenous land. We need to understand that while they are responsible, of course, for their own behavior, their own actions, they're also a product of the world around them. And if we want to give people an opportunity to come back into the fold, to reject that shame, then we have to have those conversations with empathy. That doesn't mean we're not strong. It doesn't mean that we're not going to call people out who need to be called out. But it does mean we understand why they're doing what they're doing. That's really, really important. So Ben, what can we be proud of ourselves for as Jews? I mean, this could be a podcast in itself, just literally just me listening. I mean, we are remarkable. And truly, and this is what I say, you know, I, I taught a class to non-Jewish students called The Story of the Jews. And the first day of class, I said to them, this is the greatest story you're ever going to hear. And they were like, okay, Mr. Freeman, whatever. And then on the last day of class, I was like, well, and they were like, okay, yeah. Like, it's remarkable from an objective perspective, the fact that we're still here. And, you know, there is this old adage, right, which is they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. We need to amend it slightly. They tried to kill us, we survived, and we thrived, let's eat. And that is what I'm so proud of. Not only did we create this distinct, unique, standalone civilization that emerged in the Levant thousands of years ago, but we have continued evolving it. We've continued practicing it to this day you know we're two british jews and we do specific things because they emerged in our land thousands of years ago shabbat firstly the word shabbat is hebrew so it's in our indigenous language it starts on a friday night because of the lunar calendar because our evenings start the night before we have two halaks because we're representing the manna that comes from heaven or that came from heaven when we were wandering in the desert. We're saying prayers in Hebrew. There's so much that is connecting us to our past. And here we are as modern people. We are thriving. We have dual identities and we're carrying it with us. And it's something so incredible. And it it can add so much to our lives. You know, my partner isn't Jewish and 
unfortunately, my father passed away about seven years ago. And, and you know, every year I light the Yartzeit candle and I say Kaddish. And my partner and I talk quite often about the Jewish mourning rituals. And he says, this is unbelievable. Like, it's like this has been written by psychology experts that we are, the funeral's very fast, and then we have the shiva to process, and we have the shloshim, and then we have instructions, we're given a manual. So not only is it just amazing that we're still here and we're still thriving and we're still active Jews, it can add something so incredible to our lives. And that's the most important thing to understand. We're not basing our Jewish pride simply on being against Jew hatred, simply on being like, well, we survived, that's great. We have something incredibly special. We are the inheritors of a unique civilization that can contribute so much to our lives and has and to the wider world. And that to me is just remarkable. And listen, I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast who are saying, well, this guy's not mentioned this or that. And you're absolutely right. There's like a million things, right? Food, music, all of these things. And that's the beauty of it. There's so much for us to choose from. And that's the thing, you know, we are a diverse people. Your family from Iran, my family lived in Eastern Europe, but we're both Jews. And we're both connecting with similar things, but also different things occasionally. And that's the beauty. There's so much diversity in our culture, our traditions, our civilization, that there's something for every single Jewish person. What you've also highlighted, Ben, is not only the brilliant script that we get, down mm. to knowing what we had for dinner when we left Egypt, um, is that the script for example, at a time of mourning that we have, helps us to ease over relationships between each other, which is pretty amazing. I think it's, it's, a, it's a living, thriving, deeply rooted manual in a way that serves us well in moving forwards. It's, it's incredible how it's all intertwined. Absolutely, and I think you've just raised a crucial point that I will be borrowing in the future. This is, we are a living civilization. We're not talking about something that began thousands of years ago and we're mourning or we're remembering. We are living it today. That is incredible. I mean, the fact that we're two Jews sitting where we are in London, having this conversation about Jewish identity on a podcast in 2023 is it's so, it's profound. And I really do wake up every day being so proud to be Jewish. It's like, wow, what, what an amazing thing to be a part of. We're a small group of people, but we're mighty. And we are, as we have always been, deeply committed to our Jewishness, because that's why we're still here. You know, it's no accident. We made us survive. It didn't just happen, we made us. We made us thrive. We worked incredibly hard at it. And it's living. And, you know, we're two Jews now living in a time very different to many of our ancestors because we live in a time with a modern Jewish state. And that is incredible, that we have self-determination in our indigenous land. You know, we were both in Jerusalem in June for the World Jewish Congress conference, and I hadn't been in a really long time because of COVID. And I told you, I cried touching down because it was so profound to be like, wow, I'm home. And listen, people are often talking about Israeli politics. I will say there's many things the British government does that I disagree with. 
But that doesn't change how British I feel. We are deeply rooted and connected to that land, regardless of who's in power. And I want people, I want to encourage people to see that, that it's more than just who's in power today or who's in power tomorrow. Our connection, our relationship with Israel stretches back thousands of years. It's where we began and it's where we are still rooted today. That is really the official calendar of Israel is the Jewish calendar. That is so amazing. It's crazy. It's living. It's real. We're about to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. We're celebrating New Year in September because we have our own calendar that we are still living. And that's exactly right. It's exactly as you say. And that is so profound. So, Ben, something that is a fundamental part of that pride is Hebrew. Mm. Where Hebrew is an ancient language, yet it's a modern language. And we're both here speaking in English, and um, yet, on the other hand, I think, for me experientially, I'm sure you've experienced that too. We could be on a visit to a different community, but Hebrew is at shore, even if you don't speak Russian or any other language, we're connected by Hebrew. What part does, does Hebrew play in, in, in all of this constellation? I think it plays a really important part. And I have to say, it's on my to-do list to learn Hebrew again. I had studied it a long time ago, and now I'm old, I've forgotten it, unfortunately. I've forgotten a lot of it. But what you're saying is absolutely true. I was in Crete in the summer, and we went to, my partner and I went to a shul, went to a synagogue, and I could read the inscriptions on the walls. And again, I'm not fluent in Hebrew, but the language that we used, you know, we were using Rosh Hashanah. That is Hebrew. That means head of the year, right? That's what we call our new year. So we, even if you're not living in Israel, even if you don't speak Hebrew, it's still a part of our Jewish identity. You know, my my recent ancestors were Ashkenazi and my dad did pronounce it with the S. You know, Talit became Talis, which I kind of now have rejected slightly because I want to say what I, to me, the talit, the, the T the, is the correct pronunciation, but not to shame, of course, Ashkenazi cultural pronunciation. That's profound and wonderful as well. But he was still speaking Hebrew. You know, the prayers, Baruch HaSah, was still his version of Baruch Atah. You know, we are, that's, and that's really part of it. It's a living, breathing civilization. And yes, you know, we can read the Torah, we can read these ancient documents and they're in ancient Hebrew, and it's basically the same script that is used on the ice cream adver advertisement in Tel Aviv. That's amazing. Like it feels to me real and living. And I, you know, I was in the Royal, the Royal Academy, the art, the art place, right? <laughs> Royal Academy. They were doing an exhibition about Iberia and they had a Torah, which I was not thrilled about, but I could read it. Like that's pretty crazy. So, there are so many ways to connect and that again is the beauty so there is the religious element there is the culture there is the nation and there is something for all of us but it is living and it is breathing and we do need to have we do need to play a role in that and we do need to to live it ourselves and that's not to say we should all be fluent in hebrew i'm unfortunately not i would love to be but i can read hebrew letters i will say hebrew like hebrew words shabbat shalom is hebrew so there's so much that's incorporated into our our lives, even if we're in the diaspora, that we're not even aware of. And that's really remarkable. And the language is really significant because Hebrew is our indigenous language. It's how the 
exiled Jewish communities communicated with one another. When they had interaction, and they did have interaction, they spoke in Hebrew. That's amazing. And it's something that we should also... You know, listen, I do think that Jews should learn Hebrew. Like, I think I should, and I think that Jews should. I think that we should celebrate our Hebrew birthdays because we are our own civilization. And it's not to say that we reject. We can have two birthdays, like the king. How nice is that? But we should honor our civilization because it's real. And it's, it's, and listen, I'm not, that's when I say I think we should learn Hebrew, it's not to put pressure on people. You do, you boo, do what you want to do. But I want to learn Hebrew because it's a way to live and breathe and communicate Jewish indigeneity and a Jewish connection to that land. And again, as you say, all over the world. And, you know, I do a lot of work in North America and it always strikes me as really fascinating. So many of the synagogues have Hebrew names. And I'm, there's a new synagogue in Los Angeles that is, has just been set up and they want to do some work with me. And it's a Hebrew word. And I thought, how amazing. You could, you could call it something in English. And some people do. A tree of life is, is English. But they, these are lot, so many of them haven't, and they've chosen to honour our connection to the land, to honour our connection with each other, our history, our current situation as a living, breathing people, with Hebrew words. It's, it's wonderful. And it's a pretty pervasive tool as well, in a way, where even in parts of the world where the sitting government may not be sympathetic to the state of Israel, the language is still there, living and breathing. Mm. It's the different combinations are pretty astounding. And you said something earlier, which I think is really important. So many Jews are thinking about these ideas. And what we have to do is almost like flip a switch and start to see, like see the wonder that is in the Jewish world. Because so much of so, so, so many communities speak Hebrew, so much as, like, our prayers are in Hebrew. And we need to just flip a switch and remember, ah, that's us honouring our indigeneity, it's honouring our civilization. it's honouring our distinctiveness. It is really remarkable, but we have to be able to see it. And I think so many of us don't because of, we've not been encouraged to, we've not been taught to, but hopefully people listening to this podcast will be like, wow, there is so much. And they'll start to see it in their own lives. You know, even having a pomegranate. I'm Scottish, as you can probably all tell. We ate pomegranate at Rosh Hashanah. They're not indigenous to Scotland. Raspberries are indigenous to Scotland. I had to Google this. Pomegranate is one of our Shivat Haminim, one of the seven species. It's indigenous to the Levant. We as Scottish Jews made sure that we had that at our table. There's so much that we're doing already that we might not even realise. So, Ben, turning on to something uh, a little bit more challenging. How big is the part of facing Jew hatred and anti-Semitism in the Jewish identity? I think, unfortunately, it's a large part. And I think it's something that we should be working to heal from. There is an idea that one of the reasons that the Jews have survived so long is because we've faced adversity and we've turned inwards. And listen, maybe that's true. And, and maybe it's not a bad thing. Right? Our history is what our history is. We're not, we're not going to rewrite it. But I think what we want to do is have a healthier relationship with those experiences. Now, those are inherently negative experiences, so it's not going to be healthy. But we should understand that it's not our fault, that we've done nothing wrong, that this is the non-Jewish world's problem. I start my first book with a line my late father used to say. He used to say, the non-Jewish world hates Jews. And he was right. I used to argue with him that he was right. And that's not to say individual non-Jewish people. We have many wonderful allies. But it's, we're, 
it's the systems and culture and ideology that exist in the Christian world and the Muslim. And it's their problem. So while we experience it, while we're going to react to it, while we may feel our Jewish identity, you know, emboldened or strengthened or, or we may feel a more intense need for it, we should understand that it is not a Jewish problem. It is a non-Jewish problem. And we need to turn inwards and look into ourselves and have the conversation about, well, look at our language, look at our food, look at pomegranates. We're not basing our Jewish identities on surviving Jew haters. When I was taking trips to Poland to educate young people about the Holocaust, the nightmare scenario would be for them to say, well, this is why I'm Jewish. Say, no, that's not, that's absolutely not why we're Jewish. This is a part of our experience. We're going to understand it. We're going to honor the, the six million, but we're not going to base our entire identities as, a, as an indigenous civilization on this tragedy that was enacted upon us. So we really need to make sure that we are having a healthier dialogue with regards to Jew hatred. And again, it's like, it's awful. And I say in the first book, Jewish Pride Rebuilding the People, that Jewish Pride is not going to stop you feeling pain. It's not going to stop you feeling anger at how we are treated. In fact, Jewish Pride should elicit anger because it's an indication that we deserve better than how we're treated. We're still going to have all of those feelings and they're normal and natural. But again, it's about understanding it in our context. We're not basing our identities on it. It's something that happens to us. We respond to it. We have to deal with it. But it's not why we're Jewish. It's a non-Jewish problem. We've done nothing to deserve the treatment we experience and we've done nothing to deserve Jew hatred. It's absolutely, we need to start putting distance between ourselves and those concepts. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's like you use the lingo, the jargon almost of, of survivors of abuse. Yes, that's exactly right. We have been in a toxic relationship with the non-Jewish world for 2000 years. Even further, if you're counting the earlier colonizations um, that took over the Jewish states. But since we were exiled, it's been toxic. We have tried time and time again to win their affections. And how do we do that? Well, we change. We change ourselves. We change our names. Again, I've said this before, we change our noses. We straighten our hair. We dye our hair blonde, as I used to do, by the way. We changed the concept of what it means to be a Jew. We are a nation. Am Yisrael is the, the, the people of Israel. And now there are Jews who think that we're just a religion. That's not the case. We have never been just a religion. And the reason we rebranded ourselves was because we were coerced to do so by the French and other countries following the Enlightenment. We're always trying to be good Jews. And that is toxic. That's abusive. And we need to say absolutely not. We will integrate. And you're an amazing example of someone who's integrated into British society while still maintaining and retaining their specificity as a Jew, because we are specific and you can have dual identities. You can have loans, right? There's no, there's no, it's not like passports. There's no limit, but we do have to honor our Jewishness for us to be forced and coerced into pushing our Jewishness down this hierarchy. That's unacceptable. And it is, it is toxic because we try and we try and does it work? No. So we try again and we try again and we're seeing it now. We're seeing Jews who have rejected their connection to our indigenous land in the hope of being, of retaining their membership to the progressive world. And that is something which is done to them. And that is something we need to understand. This is, it, is, it is abuse, it is toxic. And that's why this language I think is so 
relevant. And it feels natural to talk about it in this way because, yeah, that's what happens. Like, the stories that I hear from my mother growing up in Northern Ireland about the anti-Jewish abuse, it is abuse. And I think many of us have experienced that kind of abuse, versions of, in our lives, whether it's online, whether it's on the street, whether it's in conversations at work. You know, these things exist and they wound us and they damage our integrity as people. So I believe that they are forms of abuse, they are toxic relationships, and they traumatize us. You're listening to Jewish World by the World Jewish Congress, Israel. Now, Ben, you've got a pretty impressive presence online. Can you tell us a little bit more about the comments that you receive when, when you are in that space? So I'll start with the good news, the Jewish comments. Jewish pride has, you know, now I, I think I was naive when I wrote the first book and I was like, this is going to change the Jewish world in five minutes. It doesn't happen that way. These things take a really long time, but I've noticed a change and people are using social media to say proud of Jew on their social media bios, which is a very public statement. I get messages um, from people saying that Jewish pride or the books have changed their lives. You know, people are embracing their Jewish identities in a way that I think we haven't seen in a really long time. Not ever, but in a really long time. The bad news, when you are allowed public Jew, you are unfortunately opening yourself up to abuse. And actually just yesterday, I was added to a list on Twitter. It's like a, something that you're added to without your control, someone will add you to their list. And it was Jewish supremacists. And that's the kind of uh, rhetoric that is directed at proud Jews. We are, you know, killing Palestinians. We are deserving of the treatment we've experienced. It's our fault. We are apartheid committers. We are um, genocidal. We're Nazis. We're all of these things. and it does impact how we feel about ourselves. Of course it does. But we must never, ever think, well, that's our fault. They're wrong. You know, some people say there was a, a trend of people saying, you know, you've been chucked out of however many countries. Why do you think that is? Like, blaming us. And it's like, yeah, because you're all a bunch of racists. That's why, actually. It's got nothing to do with us. We're just minding our own business. And then for whatever reason, another action is committed against us. And I think that that is the most important thing in those moments. It's not our fault. This is their problem. And you know, when I received those messages, I've received death threats. My partner, who isn't Jewish, would be outraged and would say, God, they're so ignorant. I'd say, no, they're racist. Call them what they are. They think I am less than, they think that I am less deserving of life because I'm a Jew. Let's be very open about what we experience. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to make it palatable. We're not going to make our, our experience or ourselves palatable. We will palatable. We will be and we will live our truth the truth that we're experiencing. So even though I experience all of that abuse, it doesn't change how I feel about my Jewishness. It can make me mad, but I block the person, but I'm like, wow, you're a despicable loser. And you're an adult saying these things to me online. And I hope you've used your real name. I hope this is out in the public record for the rest of time, but it doesn't make me feel ashamed of my Jewishness. It doesn't make me want to make my Jewishness smaller. And sometimes, you know, it can make me want to be more loudly and proudly Jewish, but I think it's not about that. It's about being authentically who we are and not allowing them to impact us or, or mitigating the impact, because of course it will. Receiving that abuse is, is horrible. But you do at the same time, I think, reflect to the next generation as well of how to withstand that and do it um, with grace 
and not to let it dim your light and to dim your pride. What is the, what is the future of Jewish pride? That's the question. The, for Jewish pride to be a success, it needs to exist long after I'm gone. Like, and really, this, this is not about me. This is about something much bigger than all of us. This is about the healthy continuation of our people. Again, healthy continuation, because we will continue, we will survive, but we want to do so in the best shape possible. I hope that we continue the conversation on what it means to be Jewish and what our experience is, and we, we continue investigating it. And I hope that organizations like the World Jewish Congress continue embracing it, because I believe it is the most important thing that a Jewish organization can be doing. Even more so than actually having a campaign to fight Jew hatred, and some of you may be surprised at that. And the reason I think that is because Jewish pride tells us that we should fight Jew hatred. How can you fight back if you don't know that you deserve better? We have to be proud of ourselves. We have to understand our story. We have a story to tell it. You know, the second book is called Reclaiming Our Story, and I'm working on a third book right now, and it's the, the working title, and this may change, so don't sue me if it does, is The Jews and Indigenous People. And I think that's really important. We are Indigenous. And this is not some, again, airy-fairy concept I've just plucked out the sky. Indigeneity is defined by, via the United Nations. And if you read there, there are seven definitions. One of them is a bit rubbish, so we'll put it to the side. Um, and it's rubbish for everyone, not just us. But there are six definitions and they could be written about us. You know, the first is self-identification as an indigenous people. Listen, we may not use that word, but we call ourselves Am Yisrael. We say L'Shanah Yerushalayim. We pray towards Jerusalem. There is so much about Israel and the land in our souls, in our practice. Rosh Hashanah was historically the beginning of the economic year and if we think about the major the Shalosh Regali right we have Sukkot we have Pesach and Shavuot they were harvest festivals and here we are as Jews you know in May eating cheesecake we're not going out to the harvest maybe but we're still honoring that so there's so much about our experience which which would classify us as indigenous and I think it's really important because you know I'm obviously very proudly Jewish but I would say I'm fairly secular the, the idea of God is not that important to me. But what do, how do I relate to the land of Israel? How do I relate to Israel? If God's not important to me, so therefore the argument that God promised us this land may not be something that really means something to me, from an anthropological perspective, that is our indigenous land. And as an indigenous people, we have indigenous rights. That's what Zionism is. Zionism is an indigenous rights movement. And we are one of the most successful examples of decolonization in the history of mankind. It's really remarkable. So, you know, I hope that will be added to the conversation on Jewish pride. I just hope we, ha we continue having these conversations and that Jews everywhere understand that we're part of something wonderful and that we should see it as a source of pride and never shame. Ben, what are the differences between the pride in the diaspora versus the pride in Israel? We talked about Jew hatred and shame. That's something that Israelis don't necessarily experience in the same way. No, they, they experience Jew hatred, but it's a different kind, right? And I do think there's so much that as diasporic Jews, we need to understand about the, the Israeli experience and then also vice versa. I think I do speak to Israelis sometimes and they just don't really seem to understand our experience in the diaspora. I think that Jewish pride is, 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 in, is integral to Israelis because it's again, it's the understanding that we're part of something bigger than us and actually bigger than just Medina Israel. 
it's the continuation of the Jewish people. So I would encourage Israelis and I'd encourage my own family to be actively Jewish. And again, in a way which suits them, I've told you that God is not important to me, but I keep kosher, I wear him again to be I wear a kippah. Each of us have a relationship with this greater thing that we're a part of. And I think it's really important that all of us accept the responsibility because we don't want to see Israel continue to be polarized between secular and religious. Each of us have our relationship, each of us have a responsibility, and each of us have a duty to embrace the practicality of being Jewish. And I would say that living in Israel is, is, not, is not enough, because otherwise we'd have to live in Israel, right? We can be proud Jews in the diaspora, and I would love to live in Israel, but I would also want to be Jewish there. And I think that's really important. And I think that Jewish pride is for, you know, when I wrote the first book, I think I was quite naive and I thought the Jewish pride was really just for kind of like secular left-wing Jews. But I spoke to an Israeli after, I, after they read the first book and they said, I used to tell people that I was American because they have dual passports when they were traveling. Wouldn't tell people they were Israeli. That's shame. And yes, Israel is a place where Jews are the majority, but you zoom out just a wee bit and we're again not the majority. And Israelis, like all people, are part of the international community and face, and there's so much of the focus on modern Jew hatred. So I think that Jew hatred is really relevant for them. And I think that Jewish action is really important. You know, I describe Jewishness as a big buffet table and it's goodies from all over the Jewish world. And each of us will go and we will choose something. But the most important thing is that we get up off our seats and we choose something. And it might be different to what you choose, might be different to what I choose, but we have to choose something because we're part of something real and living. You know, Hebrew is a part of that, but it's so much more. I think that's something that we were able to explore very much in June in Israel with the World Jewish Congress, where we met with leaders of different Israeli organizations with like-minded um, individuals who were very interested in that connection. Yeah. And I think even there we were able to explore another point of blindness for Israelis themselves, where it's harder to understand the meaning and importance it bears to diaspora Jews. So people who just live in the reality of Israel, yeah. it's that bigger picture. So I think it's important to understand what is the role of Israel, what is the role of Israel in the pride in being Jewish and their Jewish identity. Israel is central. It's not possible to divorce Jews from Israel. Like really, that's just it. And I do think actually there will be a question at some point in the future, not yet, but if Jews continue turning against Israel as we've seen, especially young Jews, there will be a question about whether they're still Jews. And I'm not saying that to gatekeep, but we are something real and tangible. How can you strip us from our indigenous land and then, and then still retain what makes you Jewish? That doesn't make sense. You become something else. And I will remind people that early Christians were Jews and it changed so much that they became something else. And I think that we have to understand what we are and we have to have boundaries. Israel is central, absolutely central to Jewish identity, to Jewish pride. I hope always will and certainly always has been. And again, this is not about government. It's not about government. This is about the land. This is about our right to self-determination in our indigenous land. It's about the fact that we decolonized it, that we have built a modern state that is standing on the 
ruins or the, the ancient remnants of our civilization that existed there thousands of years ago. That's crazy. It's amazing. Really, like, you know, we, we spoke earlier about this. Hebrew is the language of the Torah, and it's the language of the person who sells ice cream on Tel Aviv Beach, the one who yells, Arctic! Like, come on! It's amazing. Everyone knows that. It's amazing. Israel is central. You cannot divorce Israel. It's not possible. And if you try, then you're changing the very nature, like the app, like the fiber of what it means to be Jewish. And think what you want about government. Who cares? Like, have your opinion. Like, three Jews, 15 opinions, right? It's the way it is. But within boundaries. We're not going to allow the non-Jewish world to bastardize Zionism. That's what they've done. They've stolen it from us. It's unacceptable. Zionism which obviously led to the rebirth of the Jewish state, is a Jewish concept created by Jews for Jews, rooted in thousands of years of Jewish history. And the non-Jewish world thought that they could turn it into something else. And the greatest tragedy is that some Jews have believed them. No, we need to, we're not giving an inch. Zionism is a fundamental Jewish concept and you cannot, you cannot separate Jews from Israel. It's not possible. And that, in a nutshell, is the miracle of Jewish pride. Ben Freeman, it's been an honour and a thrill to spend time with you. And I hope that our listeners have enjoyed listening to us as much as I've enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Any excuse to sit and spend an afternoon talking to you. Today we discussed one of the most fundamental issues for us, not only as Jews, but as human beings. How to be confident and at peace with our own identity is one of the ultimate goals in life. We Jews have a unique perspective of facing this challenge and it has a different meaning for all of us. It becomes absolutely essential for us to ask ourselves hard questions about our heritage and our place in the chain of generations and hopefully be able to find some answers. The process of pride in ourselves is maybe a never-ending quest, but it has to start at some point within ourselves. So why not now? Jewish World Podcast by the World Jewish Congress is on all podcasting platforms and all the links are available at podlist.net slash WJC hyphen Israel. I'm Dr. Afrat Sofa. Thank you for listening. Jewish World, a podcast by the World Jewish Congress Israel. Jewish World is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Subscribe for updates on new episodes.